from VinePair's New York City headquarters. I'm Adam Teeter. And I'm Joanna Sharino. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Chabal. And this is the VinePair podcast. And Zach, now you're back to being the only one who's working from home. <sighs> As it always has been. <laughs> Perhaps always will be. I mean, look, we're still we're still hybrid until <laughs> September, but uh, but this feels good, man. It's like you know, yeah, nice to be back in uh in the office in Manhattan, just hanging out. What's been going on with both of you guys, though? Just keeping on, you know. <laughs> just keeping on. <laughs> That's it, Joanna. What else? What What have you been up to? What have you What have you consumed that is uh, in liquid form since last week? Um, since last week, let's see. This past weekend, we had a few friends over to our roof. It was about 100 degrees and 100% humidity, so it was yeah. quite hot. <laughs> um, and we had some Chinar spritzes, and ah. they were very, very good. Look at you. You're like, you know, totally on trend. Is Chinar, not to spoil our, our topic, but is that, uh, is that a big trend right now? I mean, I'm seeing a lot of people like posting about it. Like, if you like Aperol and you like Campari, you'll like Chinar. It's very funny, like a lot of uh, drinks influencers, which I think is just like, you know, we're, we're getting there, right? It's like people are feeling like now they want to show you that they've discovered something new. Uh huh. But Chinar is delicious. So Chinar spritz. That's a, this, so like, what was your what was your recipe, Joanna? You know, we did a splash of Chinar. Like, I don't know. We didn't really use a recipe. It was uh, we eyeballed it. So some Chinar, prosecco, club soda, Castle Luchano olive. Oh, good olives! Interesting. Mm-hmm. It's a I, it's a nice nice switch up from the aperol spritz. I think totally. I mean that's that's town sounds really delicious. Did I ever tell you? I've told I've told Zach. I think I've told the story before. My like sort of like story that with an olive and a spritz that me that resulted in Naomi never wanting to ever drink a spritz ever again. Correct. <laughs> oh my goodness! I don't, oh, no. I don't recall this story. It sounds tragic though. Oh, it's the best. So um, for those that are regular listeners, you know that my wife is a vegetarian since she was five. And basically, she, we were in Barcelona, and I think it was like the first year that the spritz was really big, like really big in the US and also Aperol, you know, Campari group, but Aperol had pushed massive campaigns, right? So we were, uh, a bunch of people had told us about this amazing tapas restaurant on the beach owned by, I don't know, one of these famous chefs who actually had a really f- a fine dining restaurant in Barcelona that you couldn't get into, price fix, all that shit, but that he had this great tapas restaurant on the beach. And so we walked down to you know the beach in Barcelona. We're sitting on the beach and we're like, well, I guess we have to order spritzes. Like This feels like the thing that everyone's doing these days. So we ordered them and they came with olives in them. And I'm enjoying my spritz and, and whatever. And Naomi was like, oh, I'll eat the olives. And she puts the olives in her mouth and she's like, Adam, can you please eat one of these olives? I was like, why? I'm just enjoying my spritz. I don't need to, I, I don't want to eat the olive right now. And she was like, please right now, do it right now. <laughs> so, so, I, so I take the olive off the stick and I'm eating it and I'm like, oh yeah, there's definitely anchovy in this. Um... <laughs> there's anchovies in this. And she like literally got up and puked. Oh man. <laughs> And she's like, now she's like, I do not trust a single spritz with an olive in it. Like it doesn't. She's like, I will never have spritzes with olives in it anymore. Mm. 
So, anyways, that's my funny olive story. With they sneak all kinds of weird shit into olives in Spain. It's true. Yeah, <laughs> but Joanne, I mean, not to be like a creeper, but I also saw on Instagram that you seem to go to a really nice restaurant recently and had some delicious cocktails as well. Correct? Yes, I was also going to mention mention that I uh, went to dinner with my brother the other night at a restaurant called Doctor Clark in Chinatown. Oh, cool! And it's a it's a Japanese Hokkaido restaurant, and we had their house martinis, which are made with Mika gin and vermouth, which is this Japanese vermouth that I think Tim Tim has spoken about on this podcast before. He has. Mm-hmm. And it was really citrus forward and really really delicious. Wow, that's, that's awesome. Cool. Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a huge gin person, but I know Tim really loves the Nika gin. Yeah, and Nika's delicious. Like, give it a try, and it was really great. That's awesome, man. That's tasty. What about you, Zach? I think the two things I've had recently that I really enjoyed, um, I had a bottle the other day of some uh, Chardonnay from a producer in Oregon. Uh, that's uh, Brick House, which is up in the Ribbon Ridge, up in the Chehalem Mountains. And I, I probably have said this on the podcast before, but I, I'm a real believer in this sort of um, current concept of Chardonnay in Oregon, in the Willamette Valley. I think for a set of reasons that are too complicated to go into right now, for a while, the Willamette Valley was really pushing Pinot Gris as the sort of white wine that they produced, um, even though for a variety of reasons, I think it's, it's in some ways better suited for both Chardonnay and even Riesling. Um, and then there's been a big resurgence in interest in Chardonnay. Some of it has to do with just getting you know, better about where they're planting it, which clones they're using, etc. And I just, I think it's, you know, what's great about Willamette Valley Chardonnay is it, it sort of occupies a unique position um, from what I've experienced on the West Coast, where it isn't, um, generally speaking, going to get to the levels of ripeness that you find in either much of California or here in Washington. Um, but it's also not, the best ones are not made in a purely kind of, we're going crazy lean stainless steel. Um, like they're not afraid of some oak, at least used oak, if not new oak, some lee stirring, like they, they want to get texture in the wines, but, but because it's not as hot, um, you're not getting the kind of tropical fruit notes that you find in a lot of West Coast Chardonnay, um, but more of the kind of apple and uh, citrus fruit that you can also find in um, Chardonnay. And uh, yeah, that was really great. I also think the other thing I had recently is funny. We're, we're in spritz mode. Apparently is uh, my, my wife um, who I guess I haven't announced on the podcast, but is pregnant. Um, and so we've been. Congrats. Around- Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, so the, we've been playing around with, you know, some, low ABV options for her. Cause, um, as with our first kid, definitely not, not drinking at all, but, uh, you know, gotta be a little more cognizant of, uh, of just how much. So I've been playing around both with, uh, she's a big Aperol spritz fan. So, uh, and she would certainly eat the anchovy filled olive, um, <laughs> just to note. But, um, I would say that, uh, one of my favorites of late is, um, I- I've sort of been trying to make like long as in, uh, like sort of, well, not diluted, but just, you know, uh, livened up with soda water versions of classic cocktails. So I've done like a little paper plane uh, that I've served to her long. And and more recently, I did essentially a last word. Um, so green chartreuse, um, actually, I take this back. It wasn't really a last word. It just had lime juice and green chartreuse as well as a little bit of absinthe in it. Um, and it was really good. And I actually made one for her. And I was like, you know what? I was going to have something else, but I'm going to just have one of these for me too. Uh, so yeah, that was uh, very tasty. And I think, you know, if we're, if we're moving past just uh, Aperol in our spritzes and uh, chartreuse is another great classic liqueur that, that fits that format really, really well um, and offers a different set of flavors than Aperol. Very cool. Very cool. 
What have you been having, Adam? Oh, thanks for asking. I was waiting. <laughs> so, you know, first of all, we had a staff party on Friday of last week, Very fun. which was pretty awesome. Sorry, Zach. I saw, I saw you sabering a bottle with an Amex. <laughs> okay. First of all, first of all, I only did it. I only did it because I saw the, a friend of ours, Philippe, who's a friend of the podcast and a vine pair, et cetera, do it. I just want to see if it could be done. I feel like I looked like a real jerk. <laughs> I looked at it on the on Instagram when it was posted. I was like, "Oh man!" Uh, I mean, but it was you, cool. You got the, it was cool to know you can it, do it. It worked. That's awesome. That's all. That, that's all that matters. Yeah, it was cool to know that you could do it. I was like, "Really? A credit card will actually saber a bottle of of sparkling wine?" And it did. Um, so that was cool. Um, but service I, for the people. It was a service for the people. I was, it was research. <laughs> But so we had some delicious things there. We had obviously Josh's favorite beer, Grim, made an appearance, of course, um, one of their IPAs. We had some, you know, really delicious rosés, you know, Amistois, Chocolat. We had, um, is that huge in Seattle? Is that just a huge one here? Chocolat rosé? No, but, but the, the specific producer, Amistois. They're oh, on our list this year, number question. four. Um, I, you know, I'm going to embarrassingly say I don't recognize the label off the top of my head. So let's go look at the, uh, Top 25 list. You keep talking and I will let you know if I've seen it. Interesting. So um, so we had that. We had some really cool, you know, some Beaujolais. We had, you know, some delicious Nero Davila. So just fu- fun stuff. But then after Joanna, you left. <laughs> so basically, all day long, Tim McCurdy had a flask of Chinar with him. And he was convinced he was going to get people to pizza luge. So for those who have not read Aaron Goldfarb's article on our site about pizza luging, basically it's this new phenomenon, (laughs) people kind of taking it from Bojack Horseman where it originated, I kind of think, uh, where you take a shot of Chinar and you run it down a slice of pizza and you drink it. Well, it, it kind of evolved out of the bone luge, right? Yes. Like express fat washing, right? So Tim is like convinced, convinced, convinced he's going to get people to do it. So finally enough people had left where I was like, if I make a fool out of myself, it's okay. Um, Especially because apparently it gets all over you. Yeah. We figured out a way to do it where it doesn't actually, you actually, you eat the tip of the pizza first, you know, the pointy end. So it becomes more square and then, or like, you know, flat. And then you make a luge. Um, but I did it. Josh did it. Tim did it. With different slices of pizza or the same one? <laughs> no, with different. You do it. And then you're supposed to also <laughs> eat. And then you eat, eat the pizza. slice of pizza. Yeah. So basically all it actually does is infuse the flavor of chinar onto the pizza. What does the chinar is nothing. I mean, we were all just like, uh, this is just basically chinar. Like I didn't, I don't, I mean, it's just kind of for the fun of it. Um, but then, you know, the pizza does have a flavor of chinar, which was kind of nice. But I did do it. So that was like my most exciting thing I did <laughs> since I've last spoken to you guys is I've pizza luged. Um, somehow that video didn't make it to Instagram. No, huh. I, I, I refuse to allow anyone to have their phones out. Uh. I would uh, I, I would not do it again. Not because it was like, I just like, I don't see the point. But yeah. I now can at least say I've done it. So that that's me. I love it. Well, and I looked up the, the chocolate and yes, this one is big. Uh, the Guterriaco one. Uh, here yeah. in, in Huge, uh, Seattle right? as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's funny because uh, chocolate is one of these weird things where like 
for me personally, like I enjoy the rosé a lot. I, the whites, I can't. They're just too crazy acidic for me. Like I, they, they're some of those wines that you call like that we always kind of call this like you know like the enamel scrapers. Like they just are so high in acid. Um, but the rosés are I, I really like. They're they're delicious. So cool. Indeed. So let's move on to a conversation we get to have every year, but is always fun, which is what do we think the biggest drinks of the summer are going to be? So um, if you're listening is, to this, the Chinar Pizza Luge. No, um, but you're, you're hearing this after Memorial Day. It's always a really fun thing to reflect on. Um, and since Joanna's the noob, I think we should start with her. Ah. <laughs> all right, all right. Um, so I think we recently published this article about hard seltzer smoothies, and it's a it's a trend coming out of the Midwest, and I it's like a mashup between hard seltzer and smoothie beers and fruit forward hazy IPAs, and I think that's going to be a big trend this summer. I've also you know kind of along those lines, I recently saw a sangria slushy made with sour beer, and have been seeing a lot of beer slushies too. I saw one at Torch and Crown, which is a brewery in Manhattan, made with IPA fruit juice and served with a Fernet floater. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. That sounds like an adventure. <laughs> yeah, that's, that sounds like, you know, basically the most hipster kind of drink you could possibly right. have. Like, <laughs> Adam, guess what floater. the Fernet was, though. Well, so to be Fache, fair, the, the Fernet's actually Facha Bruto, which yeah. I love, <laughs> but it's also like a, uh, a Brooklyn Fernet. So it's like, oh, it's like all the things. <laughs> all the things very very funny um those i could see those can you explain to me joanna because i read the article but it was a couple weeks ago now what exactly is a hard seltzer smoothie like like are we how are we like like how does that make sense are they blended or what there's real fruit fruit juice in okay in hard seltzer and it's canned and it remains it's you know, effervescent still and, and fizzy and, and it's kind of thick as I understand. I haven't had one, yeah. okay. but I, I think it's like the bottled smoothies that you might get at the grocery store, like that kind of consistency. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's similar to the smoothie beer trend, okay, which was also like a really thick, a lot of times they use like lactose and stuff like that to really like give it this. Yeah, there's no other way to describe it, like thick, like, yeah, and oats and stuff. And so it's the same thing they're doing. They're just using, you know, fermentable, you know, they're they're starting with the base is basically, you know, the the same base you would use to start to make seltzer. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. It it was an interesting article to me. I was sort of like, I, I don't see the appeal, but, you know, I think it's this other way to just like deliver flavor in an interesting way. So it's like for people who are looking for that kind of like, really big fruit flavor and that mouthfeel that you do get with a smoothie beer, but then you're not, you're not getting also like the, the beer type stuff. You're getting more of like the clean, pure fruit you get when you drink a seltzer, if that makes sense. So whereas, you know, when you're doing smoothie beers, a lot of those are like the smoothie IPAs where you're getting the mango and the guava and stuff they're adding to, but then they, but then also you're getting obviously the hops and stuff like that. And that's not happening here. So it's just, it would just be like mango guava seltzer smoothie and you would just taste like mango guava and there would be that thicker mouth feel. That's Weird. interesting. But well, I find this fascinating and, and, and it actually kind of feeds into the the trend. I want one of the trends I wanted to talk about interestingly, which is like, I think we are in the middle of a resurgence in, for lack of a better word, like we'll just use the thick 
the word again, like like rich mouthfeel like drinks. And I think yeah. like I think there's some I, I think it's cyclical, right? I think this is the kind of thing that just kind of comes and goes. And I think we are kind of coming back to this era of like wanting body in whatever we're drinking. So I think like you're seeing these these uh, smoothie heart seltzers are an example. I think you're seeing a lot of talk about like egg white cocktails again, which like had a big moment in the early days of the craft cocktail surge, but then kind of fell out of favor because I don't know, they're pain in the ass to make yeah. um, and all that. I think you're seeing it. Um, you know, we've done a number of interviews with uh, producers of RTD as I have um, a couple more coming up and they, one of the things that we've talked about in a couple of them is like one of the really crucial things to try and get right in some of these cocktails is like the the mouthfeel that you you get when you stir a cocktail or shake a cocktail that you can't really replicate if you're just drinking it straight from the can and, and how they do try and match what we expect texturally from some of these drinks, especially things like, um, you know, citrus-based drinks or or even things that just tend to have more viscosity to them. And I I think that you're even going to see this again, and maybe we're already seeing it with um, with wine, where it's not necessarily summery. Typically, like we think of like summer as exactly what you know you were talking about before, Adam. You know, rosé and stuff like that. But I really do think we are we're in this period where we're moving back away a little bit from super uh, lean, super low alcohol, really really crisp uh, wines as the only kind of um, white and rosé that people want to drink uh, even in the summer. And I think that there is a way in which um, whether it's because they're using these as uh, these wines as compliments to food where where you maybe do want a little more body in some cases or just that like i don't know we're in like i think it ties into what the mood that people are in which is like you know austere wines are great for austere times and like this is a weird sort of like jubilant in a way moment in this country where like you know people are going back to their lives and they want to do fun shit and they want to like be with each other and I think there's a way in which these these wines with more texture and, and drinks in general like feel a little more celebratory. I don't know. That may just be a, a you know projection on my part, but um, I don't know. That's that's my that's kind of what I've seen of late, which is interesting to me. I definitely think we're we're seeing a return to richness. I think I think we're seeing a return to is like we are. De- we've talked about this before, but we are seeing a return to things that were big in the '90s and the early aughts, and a lot of that is being driven by Gen Z. So like one of the biggest like jokes that, you know, millennials have about what's happening on TikTok right now, and I don't know, you know, and on Instagram as well, if you follow those two platforms is there's been a lot of posts for Gen Z, like these specific posts of like, let me show you like the secret place that, you know, you need to know about in X city. And it's always like, it's like PDT. It's like, oh, we knew about PDT years ago. You know, like, it's cool that you just discovered it. There was, there was one really funny one last night that someone sent me that was like, someone posted, oh my gosh, I don't want this place to blow up, but like, you need to go to Vinegar Hill House now. Someone was like, that restaurant's been around since 2008. <laughs> like, it's cool that you just found it and we're happy for you, but like, they're a very successful restaurant that's been around for a very long time. Like, good job. And I think we're going to see a return of people rediscovering cocktails that maybe aren't really hot right now, but were hot, were hot 10 to 15 years ago um, to feel like they are bringing them back. And one of the cocktails that I am convinced is coming back in a big way <laughs> is the Cosmopolitan. Mm. So and on a lot of menus now. A, a ton. And it's mm-hmm. not just, you know, this isn't just me. Our, our data supporting it. If you start looking at the trends of what people are looking for, 
in cocktails also. So I did an interview uh, earlier today with the, the people who own Tattersall Distillery in Minneapolis, which I didn't realize only six years has gone. They're doing 40,000 cases in sales in only six years of their spirits, which is insane. And their fastest selling RTD is this new one they've just come out with that's a Cosmo. It's mm-hmm. in a full 750 milliliter bottle. And I asked them why they decided to do the Cosmo. They're like, honestly, so they have like a lot of these, you know, local distilleries. They have a, a cocktail bar connected and it's the number one selling cocktail in their bar besides the old fashioned. So like the old, fa- so they basically were like, look, the old, and what they also, which I thought was really interesting is, which also just, I'm sick of the genderization of drinks. Like, can yeah. we just get over it? Like if I want to drink a pink drink, it's cool, mm-hmm. man. Like no one's saying you're less of a man for drinking a pink drink, but what they've done is they make what they call a cosmopolitan Bianco. So they, ah. it doesn't have the pink color. And he said it's ordered even more by men than women. Yeah. Which I think yeah. is really interesting. And all they did was take the pink color out of it. Yeah. Which is and I was the like, cranberry juice. Yeah. It's like, like cranberry. Yeah. And they found some, they, you know, they, they're still using a cranberry flavoring, but yeah, they got rid of the pink. And I just think that that's like, it's, it Yikes. just speaks to, yeah. Also, <laughs> another thing that we've talked about on this podcast before, but that he reiterated in the conversation, which is for some other time, is that they have a really hard time getting men in their uh, bar to order any cocktail that's served in a coupe. Mm. Which I was like, I fucking love a coupe. So. <laughs> I don't care, but um, I think the Cosmo is going to come back. You have Dante in the West Village in New York. You know, was number one bar in the world in 2019. You know, has an entire menu devoted to the Cosmo and Cosmo riffs. Uh, you know, on the rocks, which is probably the biggest RTD brand right now. They're definitely the fastest growing. I think Beam Centauri fully bought them out recently. One of their most popular SKUs is the Cosmo. Um, actually, a very another well made one. So yeah, I just think, and then you have the return of sex in the city. You have all this other stuff happening. And I just think the Cosmo is going to be huge and we're going to start seeing it a lot more. And it's going to be like, whoa, you know, and I think the brands that jump on it now are going to be really smart. Everyone else is going to be like, where were we? How did we miss this? I wonder why it never, why it stopped being taken seriously. Like a well-made Cosmo is a fucking delicious cocktail. I don't know. It, it maybe because it's vodka. Maybe because it got gendered. Maybe because of Sex in the City. I don't know. It's weird because, like, I, I went definitely went through a long stretch where people were like afraid to order it. They're like, "I like a Cosmo. What do you have like that?" And I was like, "Why don't we make you a Cosmo? It's a great drink." <laughs> Aren't there a lot of really badly made Cosmos though? Yes. I mean, I think I think what happened, and I think we've talked about this before, but maybe we haven't. Maybe I just talked about it with you, Joanna. Is I think mm-hmm. what happened was the Cosmo was really popular. You had, you know, Toby Caccini who kind of made it famous. It's still debatable if he invented it though. Some, you know, people say he did, he didn't, whatever. Uh, he's a great bartender and he invented it at the Odeon. Now he owns Long Island bar in Brooklyn. He, you know, had a a great drink, but then as it it spread across the country, there started becoming like poor people, like poor man's iterations, including just at the end of the day, vodka cranberry juice. And so it went from like a drink that was really balanced with obviously the cranberry, the Cointreau, the vodka, it's that right, really a, a, a delicious sour, right? And all of a sudden converts into this, you know, crazy thing that's like just easier to make and not that good. And people are squeezing lime into it. And, you know, then it just became like sort of synonymous with like, you know, bad bars and just getting wasted. And I think that it was like almost a reaction to the vodka cranberry yeah. that then was like that reverberated up to the Cosmo. 
and it just like went it disappeared and then there was also just the backlash of everything right of sort of just 90s drinking culture in general and that like also there was a, there was just a time too when it was the only cocktail like it was all you saw but what i think is funny is that there are really at this point in the country are two only cocktails right the margarita is number one and the old-fashioned number two i mean how many times do you, do you walk into a co- top cocktail bar and you you know a third i would say of the drinks you hear ordered are an old-fashioned yeah. Right. So like, I mean, but there's no backlash against those. So I don't know. I think it, it, it got unfairly targeted and also it got wrapped into the whole hatred of vodka and vodka not being a serious spirit and blah, 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 that I think just fueled, you know, just the hatred of the cocktail for whatever reason. Speaking of pink drinks, what do we think about the color changing spirits? And they oh. are everywhere now. Oh. Right? Empress Gin and... I feel like I've seen a lot of these color-changing gins. Yeah, that's a fascinating one. I mean, I think there is something that Adam and I talked about a while back when we were thinking about ways in which kind of the bar scene might return post-COVID is like um, the show being a big part of it. And like, there's no doubt that 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 color change, I mean, you, you think about it on that extreme end with things like Empress or even just like more subtly where there are spirits that will kind of noticeably but not as dramatically change color as you um add ingredients or chill them or dilute them or whatever um like a lot of uh, things in the sort of broader nsn category are like that and like that idea of something i also think you could feed into this with the idea of the visual like i was staging in a restaurant that i might be working at going forward that serves like several cocktails that are essentially like smoked and served under like a bell jar of smoke and like all that stuff was popular beforehand but again i think there's so there's a lot to say about the about appeal the of these. When you get back. Yeah. And like this idea that just in general, like you want to have, you know, it's like, it's a, how you support maybe like an $18 cocktail on a, a list as you add that visual flair component, but also like, yeah, it's a thing that again, you know, you, you know, well, maybe not no one, very few people were, were going to, or will ever do at home, but that a bar can put together in a way that is, maybe not easy, but it's a lot more manageable in a bar program than it is at home. And, and that is, is, yeah, that's, that's just a, I think that you're right, that that's going to be a big deal um, at these kind of settings. And again, you think about how kind of cool that looks, not just to you, not just to the people at your table, but the people next to you and bars rely on that as a big way to sell the next thing. I mean, I think we saw this too, uh, and we might see this again coming back. I actually want to know from both you and Adam if you see this, like large format drinks, another area where like that visual impact of that landing on the table or on the bar top is um, is a huge thing. And I think when we're talking about in like, you know, in bars in particular, I think those are, are also in for, um, not that they went away, but we've <laughs> maybe forgotten a little bit about them because most of us haven't been in bars much lately. Totally. And that like those <laughs> big showy displays. Yeah, I think we are going to definitely see large format. It's it's weird. Like, I don't know about you both, but I feel like, you know, for me, I'm already seeing a a snapback where there were things I think people were worried about. Like, are people going to go and be in crowded bars again and whatever? And already I'm seeing people being more than willing to be in crowded spaces. <laughs> yeah. Like already I'm hearing about, you know, big events and stuff. So I think that, yeah, the large format, especially the ones that are just are really show stopping where you and your friends can all split this, you know, flamingo filled with, you know, some crazy cocktail are definitely going to, are going to come back in a big way because again, that's just what people are looking for. And I do think that people are going to be looking for 
you know, drinks that feel this summer extremely celebratory. So I do think we'll see more. Like the other thing we haven't talked about, which obviously is the big elephant in the room, is Prosecco Rosé. I think that, you know, it's it's just, you know, hitting the American market. And, you know, unfortunately for them, they already realized they probably didn't make enough of it this year. So I think it will sell out pretty quickly. Um, But, you know, you combine bubbles, which feel celebratory with pink, which is, you know, (laughs) what has always been everyone's favorite. And it's just going to be this massive, you know, behemoth on the market this year. Um, and I'm sure that there are going to be some people that poo-poo it like, oh, Prosecco Rosé is so stupid. But I actually, you know, the majority of people aren't going to care and they're going to love it. And it's going to, they're going to think it's absolutely delicious. And they're going to buy tons and tons and tons of bottles of it because it just feels like what you should do right now. You know, you're getting together people and you're popping bottles. And um, so, yeah, I think that's the one that like is, it's almost stupid for us to talk about it. Because like if you, if you haven't realized that's already going to be a trend and you listen to this podcast, then I would assume you're, you're interested in the drinks business and you just kind of haven't been paying attention because it's just, it's going to be everywhere. I did an interview with uh, the Jessica Tomei, the winemaker for Cupcake, and we definitely talked a lot about Prosecco Rosé and, and how much faith they have in that category as being a, a, you know, a huge source of growth for them. And, and they're not alone, obviously. Yeah, they're not. Anything else? Joanna, Zach, like, do you guys have any other drinks, any sleeper hits? I don't know. I, I, in this conversation that I was having with my friends over the weekend, we were talking about a, a bit of Aperol spritz fatigue. And that was kind of the impetus for the Chinar spritz, but maybe, maybe more inventive spritzes, as we mentioned earlier. I think that's a, a great one. I think it's, it's very true. I also think like a thing that I, I, I feel like was a big trend last year, but it's always harder to get a handle on these things, you know, with uh, outside of looking at like, you know, search data, which obviously we do a lot of is like, I think that we talked of a year ago doing this podcast um, about fruit. And I think like that in cocktails, whether it's, you know, fruit juices, fruit purees, um, you know, things like sangria or infusions are all going to remain really big because again, it comes back to this notion of celebration, which is always a big part of summer every year, but you know, I don't know, tenfold this year. And also like, I think that so many people are just like, (laughs) there's a lot of like, well, I have a lot of stuff, right? Like I bought a lot of booze over, over the pandemic. I I might not know exactly what to do with it. And so things like punch become like the natural outlet for that kind of like, that's why it was basically invented is it's like, well, dump a bunch of shit in a bowl, add some fruit. It's good. Um, And I agree. Most of the time it is, it's kind of hard to screw up punch. Um, I mean, you can do it, but you got to try. And I think that like those kinds of things, like my, my wife and I have been joking for years, we got a punch bowl as a wedding present, which is like one of those things that you only ever get as a wedding present. Um, I think we never would go out and buy one ourselves. And we keep saying, oh, this will be the year, this will be the year. But we actually made plans to have people over for like to have punch uh, in June. And so um, this will actually be the year that that punch bowl (laughs) gets used. Nice. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I mean, like, I keep thinking, is there going to be anything like any indie, you know, stuff that's going to be happening or sort of the like, but I think again, everyone, I think there'll be a lot of champagne drunk this summer. I think that, you know, I I agree with you, Joanna, there's going to be, you know, a little bit of people looking for alternatives to the spritz while still wanting the spritz. You know, I think we'll see, you know, again, the daiquiri continue to be popular, the margarita continue to be popular, but I'm pretty bullish on like, I do think the biggest drink is going to be the Cosmo. There you go. 
Yeah. That and, that and everything lemonade flavored, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> another given, right? It's just going to be more and more and more lemonade. Like yep. more more lemonade than you can handle. And then, you know, there'll be some more fruit punch stuff because now you're seeing that coming out from some of the oh, salsa producers like Truly and things like that. So maybe that's what you can put in your punch bowl. Yeah, more more nineties nostalgia, fruit punch. Oh my goodness. Yeah, again, it all it it all comes in waves. And then and look, this is all still, I think, a little bit of the like, is high C gonna make a you know, like a RTD? I feel like that's a natural. <laughs> Dude, maybe. Because you know all like they always say that like culture in the United States is either influenced by the West Coast or the East Coast. And right now it really does feel like we're still sort of in a West Coast moment. But I feel like the East Coast is gonna push back pretty soon. And then you you know, maybe we'll go back to again like the dimly lit cocktail bars and the, you know, the old fashions and the Manhattans and stuff like that, which, which could be, you know, any, any month now, but, but not, not yet. Oh. And, you know, again, without saying like tequila, come on, yes. lots of tequila. Yep. Cool. Well, guys, it's been great. Joanna, I know you're off next week cause you're on vacation. I mean, it's kind of, I will say like, I know that we're a little annoying, but to, to already have to take a break after only <laughs> two episodes is a little like, <sighs> Well, you're, you'll have to come back and tell us exactly what you drank on vacation. I'm going to keep a list. Sweet. Good. Cool. And Zach, I'll see you next week. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. VinePair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also, I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping me make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, VinePair Tastings Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the VinePair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making this show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.